welcome to the Hope Vineyard Podcast. For more information, go to www.hopevineyardchurch.us. Um, we have been journeying through the Gospel of John, and we have been um, recognized that John is trying to help his readers experience Jesus' life. So it's not just a story about Jesus. It's a story about Jesus' life. And his goal is that we would have this life in us. That we would have such an experience and understanding of Jesus through this that that we would begin to see how Jesus is living in and growing and moving in us. Um, we are coming toward the end of Jesus's life, actually. And this morning, in um, as in our message, Jesus is um, prepared or had his, the third Passover um, since we've been reading through the gospel. This is the third Passover that he's actually talking about, and he's just had this Passover meal prepared, and he's going getting ready to have a very intimate meal with his disciples in which he'll just um, finish up some of his teaching and trying to help them understand what he's all about. We're going to be reading from chapters 13 and 14 in the book of John. So if you'd like to open to those, it's on page 826 in the Blue Bibles and on page 822 in the Brown Bibles, or you can look those up in your phones or just listen along as well. Or if you have your own own Bibles, you can use those too. Um, And before we get started, let's pray. So Father, we just welcome and invite your presence here this morning. I ask that your spirit would guide this. I ask that you would lead us into truth and that you would... Um, continue to live in us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so let's begin reading um, chapter 13. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil, and the devil had already prompted his Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that his father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around them. I like how he, um, John qualified this Uh, sentence. He said, Jesus knew his authority. He knew that he had come from God. And John could have finished the sentence in any way. So then he, you know, started shooting lightning bolts out of any, you know, and and getting rid of all his enemies. But he didn't. He said he knew his authority and that he'd come from God. So he took off his robe and began to wash the disciples' feet. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. 
Jesus replied, a person who is bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. After washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do it as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. In their... in um, these ancient times, the followers of a teacher would try to do everything the teacher did. They would try to, you know, they would talk like him, they would catch, they would get his phrases, they would emulate any of the special, you know, uh, behaviors that they he did just maybe so that they could glean their ins, um, insight from them as well. They tried to live as much like their teacher as possible so that they could become full representatives of their teacher. It's said that even um, in a court of law, someone could stand in their teacher's place to, to give um, information because it would be almost the, the same as having the teacher there themselves. And so Jesus, you know, it was expected that Jesus' disciples would try to be like their teacher. But very rarely would you see a teacher take this lowly position. Even a humble teacher would, would not um, take this lowly of a position. This was a position where in the... Yeah, um, even if someone had showered and bathed and been relatively clean, they were walking through these streets and with sandals that were open-toed, and they were walking through streets that lots of horses have been on. And sometimes, in different, depending on where you've walked, you know, people are throwing chamber pot um, refuse out to the windows. And so, this is not a very uh, like a a position that somebody would really volunteer to do. And so usually the lowest of the servants would be in charge of washing people's feet as they came in to a dinner just to get it, you know, make it so it was somewhat sanitary so they didn't bring in things that were, you know, could cause issues for their food and everything else and, and defile the um, houses. And yet Jesus took this position even as the Lord and teacher, the one who had all great wisdom, he took this lowly position and said, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to keep on doing this for each other. Now, some people have made feet washing a sacrament, and that's fine. We don't consider it a, as a sacrament here, like that we have to keep on doing it. But the, um, the actual symbol, but the symbol was of this putting ourselves in a position to serve one another, doing what's good for, not just for myself, but for the rest of the group. And so, um, and for, and you know, continuing to show that kind of service to others as, as we go on in trying to represent Jesus. You know, he could have, you know, he, if he would have been like, and this is, I'm Lord Jesus, or, you know, the Father blessed me, and now I'm going to shoot lightning bolts, then we'd all be shooting lightning bolts. But that's not what we're called to do. 
in verse 18, it continues, I'm not saying these things to all of you. I know the ones I have chosen, but this fulfills the scripture that says, the one who eats my food has turned against me. I tell you this beforehand so that when it happens, you will believe that I am the Messiah. I tell you the truth. Anyone who welcomes my messenger is welcoming me, and anyone who welcomes me is welcoming my Father who sent me. Now Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth. One of you will betray me. So we see that you know, John has a purpose for talking so much about this Jesus being aware of his betrayal. Um, a lot of times if someone, you know, if there was someone of great position and they had someone close to them betray them, then they, he would, it would be assumed that that person just didn't have a very good judge of character. And so they would think, well, you know, he, we thought he was good, but obviously he wasn't good because he didn't ha have a good judge of character of who we picked to be around him. But John is saying that Jesus knew who he was, who was going to betray him. Now it's likely, and we'll see as we continue, that, John, that Jesus was hoping that Judas would make a different choice. He, was hope, he might have been hoping that his heart would soften. But he also you know, knew that he was going to be betrayed. And it seems like he knew that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. We also see that Jesus was heard. It said that he was, he was troubled. So Jesus, who steps into our humanity, has also experienced the kind of betrayal and abandonment that we have experienced in our lives. We see that he's troubled. You know, he, Jesus was tempted in every way, but he just didn't sin. But he was very troubled because um, betrayal hurts. Abandonment hurts. We see that even knowing that those things were occurring to him, even knowing that there were people with him who would betray and abandon him, he still served them. He still washed them. And we know that he still died for them. In verse 22, we continue. The disciples looked at each other wondering whom he could mean. The disciples Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask, who's he talking about? So the disciple leaned over to Jesus and asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus responded, it's the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him. Then Jesus told him, hurry and do what you're going to do. None of the others at the table knew what Jesus meant. Since Judas was their treasurer, some thought Jesus was telling him to go and pay for the food or give some money to the poor. So Judas left at once, going out into the night. Now, unlike the famous you know, picture of the Last Supper where everybody's kind of seated at one big long table, the disciples would have been in an area it would have been maybe there would have been two couches followed um, like two couches and they wouldn't have been like comfy lazy boy couches like what we have but just kind of like long bench type things and they would have been around a table and um, they reclined to eat. I still don't get this. I still, I've tried to have like this kind of mental picture and I've, I probably could have looked at some sort of artwork to imagine this, but 
they, they recline and they kind of rest on their left elbow so that their hand is free to, the right hand is free to eat. And then they kind of lean against and have their head kind of on the chest of the person behind them. And so they could just kind of eat that way and, and rest at the same time. And so how it's set up is Jesus is the host and he's kind of in the center and then to the right of him would have been John. So John could have leaned back and said, hey, who are you talking about, Jesus? And then to the, his left in the place of honor was actually Judas. So and the honor was, the, um, this place was usually reserved for someone who was pretty close to him. And so even though it's mentioned quite often, you know, the disciple that Jesus loved and, and that um, Jesus spent a lot of time with Peter and James as well, we see from this that Judas must have been pretty close to um, Jesus. It wouldn't have been like, why is Jesus with Judas? You know, nobody, everybody knows Jesus doesn't like him. But Jesus was, Judas was close. This person who betrays him was close to him. Not only that, to, in um, this ancient Eastern custom of dipping and um, giving this first morsel of something to somebody would have been another sign of honor the person would have been obliged to eat it and it would have been like oh you know everybody would have known that person was special because they were given this morsel of something so as part of the passover meal there was this bread that was likely dipped into some sort of relish um with bitter herbs and stuff and was then handed first to judas who would have been at his left in this place of honor now um, when then Jesus said, you know, go do what you're going to do. And nobody yet knows that Judas was going to betray Jesus, but Jesus did. Verse 31, we continue. As soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said, the time has come for the son of man to enter into his glory and God will be glorified because of him. And since God receives glory because of the son, he will give his own glory to the son and he will do it at once. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I am going. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And so we see that Jesus wants us to love each other just as he loved us. And what he loved us is he loved us by washing this, this, our shame. He loved us. He showed um, by washing his disciples' feet that he loved us even in the dirtiest parts, even what would be shameful, even what, you know, where no one else would touch it, Jesus touches it. Jesus lets us know that he loves us fully. And so when he's, he's showing that that is the thing that will continue to mark his disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He asked, I'm ready to die for you. Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows um, tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times, you will deny three times that you even know me. So here Jesus is talking about another betrayal. Now Jesus knows that Peter loves him. And so he's, he's not saying that you're not one of mine. 
But he knows that he's going to be betrayed again. And we see that he shows the same compassion for both Judas, who betrays him, and for uh, um, Peter, who abandons him. He continues to love them both. In um, chapter 14, we'll continue. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. Now, this is a possible reference to the Psalms because in the Psalms, over and over again, it says um, in verse uh, Psalm 27, 13, it says, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. And in Psalm 141, 8, it says, But my eyes are toward thee, O Lord God, in thee I seek refuge. And so over and over we see those who are followers of God, who want to serve God, seeking him in times of trouble. We see them saying, but I turn to you, O God, I turn to you. And Jesus is um, expanding that now. He's saying, trust in God and trust also in me, because he's trying to enforce that he is the same as God. You can trust, you can continue to trust me. You can continue to trust God. In verse 2, there is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. And so we see that faith in him, faith in Jesus, putting our trust in God is, is what is helping us to go to the place that Jesus is going Verse 5, no, we don't know, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? In um, verse 6 it says, but Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. We see that even when we ask a silly question, that Jesus responds. And this is the, one of the commentators pointed out that when, you know, this would have been a doubtful question. You know, after many, many experiences with Jesus, we still don't know what he's saying or what he's doing. And yet, this is one of the most profound answers that Jesus has given in the Bible. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, these would have been, um, this sentence would have encompassed three of the m main themes in Jewish understanding of, um, and, and of God. Because over and over in Scripture, Jesus, or the, it's written that um, God is the one who shows the way. In Deuteronomy 5, 32 and 33, it says, You should not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. And in Isaiah 30, 21, it says, Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. And of course, in Psalm 27, 11, it says, Teach me thy way, O Lord. And so, Jesus is saying, I am the way. He's not just saying, I know the way. He's not just saying, well, yeah, go down two blocks, stop at the stop sign, and then turn right until you get to the pink house, and then you know, swivel in that alley and go another three houses, and it's the first one on the left. 
Jesus is saying, I am the way. Take, you know, he's going with us. He's saying, it's through me, it's with me. I am the way and I will show you the way. I'm just going to tell you. I'm showing you as you experience um, your life in me. He also says, I am the truth. And truth is something that, that was a high priority. Everybody was wanting to know the truth. In um, Psalm 86, 11, it says, Teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. And in um, Psalm 26, it says, For thy steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to thee. And in um, Psalm 119.11, it says, I have chosen the way of truth. And so by Jesus being the truth, not just knowing the truth or telling the truth, but living the truth, being the truth, it's Jesus. And as we have him in us, we can walk in that truth. He says, I am the love, or sorry, I am the life. In Proverbs 6, 23, it says, the commandment, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light and the reproofs of discipline are a way of life. Proverbs 10, 17, it says, he who heeds instruction is on the path of life. And Psalm 16, 11, it says, thou dost show me the path of life. And so the Jewish people were knowing and seeking God for life and that um, Jesus comes and says, I embody those things. They're in me. And in a little while, we'll see that they get to be in us. Verse 8 continues, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me um, asking me to show him to you don't you believe that I am in the father and the father is in me the words I speak are not my own but my father who lives in me does his work through me just believe that I am in the father and the father is in me or at least believe because the work you have seen me do and so Jesus is saying the father is embodied in me that if you see me, you see the Father. And this just wipes out a lot of the mistakes um, that came from what the people, the, um, the Old Testament understanding of God. A lot of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders were looking for this vengeful God to come and wipe out all of his enemies. And yet Jesus is showing us that he's not like that that his enemies are in the spirit realm and he hates evil, but he loves people and Jesus loves people. And he's saying that you have just seen me wash your feet, you saw the Father. You have seen me um, you know, live this life and not, be, not succumb to temptation. You have seen the Father. So the Father put himself in a human body, in a position to be tempted by those who he cast out of heaven. He's, he, he has experienced this, the, what it's like to be in this world, what it's like to have the powers of darkness against us. He, the Father um, has been in Jesus. He's not, he's, he is, he's, his character is not separate from the character of Jesus. We see that he is kind. 
and he is loving, and he is caring. He is intimate. And we see that he not only sent his son to the cross, he experienced the cross. Because we have seen Jesus, and through Jesus we have seen the Father. And we have seen the Father's character in his heart. And so um, this is a huge, uh, this was an interesting revelation to me years ago because I always thought, well, like, the father was kind of mean. I, and I, I as a, um, when I was a kid, I didn't really pray to God the father. I, you know, knew about the God the father, and I knew that they were three in one, but I also knew that he was kind of moody. And I didn't want to get on his bad side. And if I really, really wanted something, I would pray to Jesus because Jesus was nice. And what Jesus is saying is that when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when there's discrepancy between Jesus and the, and the Father, between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's not on God's part. It's because, like I shared when we talked through um, when we began to teach on Genesis, is that the Hebrew people were having increased revelation of who God was, of who this person, of who this being, this um, person, what this being, I don't know, amazing creator was. And in Jesus, he was fully, re, um, fully realized. And then, this is, this is one of my favorite parts. In verse 12, it says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And so Jesus is saying, you know, believe that I'm with the Father and that the Father is in me. Um, not only but the, from the words I speak, from the work, but from the work that I do. And then he's saying, and you get to do this work too. You get to do this same work. And you can ask me in my name, which means if we, not just like I want what I want, and I'm going to ask Jesus in his name because his name is like abracadabra. It's like a magic name. No. We get to, when we are asking in his name, we are asking because he has shown us what his will is. And so as we align up our will and our ways, and, um, and we are transformed by Jesus, we can ask um, for his thing that he wants and his will in his name. And he's going to keep on teaching us how to do that. And the works of Jesus weren't just to prove that Jesus was real. And they weren't just like to prove the disciples were real. They continue on. We get to continue doing this stuff. And to say, it's not saying that Jesus didn't do great things. He did great things. But by saying great, the same and greater things, it meant that he was, a, you know, Jesus's ministry was pretty limited to um, Israel or like in Palestine, those, that area. And then when people continued to carry on and continue to expand the kingdom of God, Christianity and the message and the gospel of the kingdom has spread all over the world. And so we're expanding it even greater than Jesus did in his, in his life on earth because his life remains in us. 
And we can expect people to be healed. And healings continue. And we can expect people to be rescued from the enemy so that they are, will be saved into heaven. But we can they can also experience kingdom life on this earth. And we can expect people to be delivered from Satan. And we can expect people to be raised from the dead. Because we have been told by Jesus our teacher and our Lord, that we can do the same and greater works than he has done. In verse 15, it says, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask that the, the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads you in truth. And so we have... Um, we love him and we obey his commandments. And his command, he just told us his commandment, love one another. Love. Love is his commandments. And then he will give us an, another advocate. And this word that's translated advocate is in Greek, it's called par, parakletos. And it's actually, a, it cannot be translated into just one word. Advocate is one good translation for it. Advocate means someone who will, um, who's called to please at cause of someone who's under charge in a serious issue. And so he, he will plead his cause. He will plead our cause. Um, he will defend us. But it, the word parakletos can also mean a witness who is to give witness in a court of, um, in someone's favor. So can be a witness to that person or, or to the truth of that person's testimony. It can also mean um, an expert. I like this one. Uh, Pericleos might be an expert who is called to give advice in some different situations. And he might be called in um, like to a group of soldiers or a company of soldiers who, might, who are depressed and dispirited to put new courage into them. I like that. I like that the Pericleos, the Holy Spirit, can can come in when we are feeling distressed and overwhelmed to put new courage in us. Comforter is a really good translation. Um, Whitcliffe was one of the first people to translate, if you've heard of a Whitcliffe Bible, um, to first person to use this as a comforter. But um, it also means more than just comforting like if you're sad. It means uh, the the word it comes from the word fortis which means brave and so a comforter is someone who is who enables someone who is dispirited or feeling down to have courage and to be brave so the holy spirit substitutes a, a victorious um living for a defeated living uh William Barclay says this. So what Jesus is saying is, I'm setting you a hard task, and I'm sending you out on a very difficult engagement. But I am going to send you someone, the Paracletos, who will guide you to what to do and enable you to do it. Let's keep going. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So the Jesus is saying the world didn't get it. You know, those who are of this world, the, um, those who are following the ruler of this world, 
in their own ways don't get it. But you have seen me and you know me because I'm with you. And I will be with you because he's sending us this, that paracletos, the, the Holy Spirit, to be in us. So he, his, this, he's telling his disciples, I'm with you. And I'm going to be with you again because I'm going to be in you. How amazing is that? Verse 18, no, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, the other Judas by that name, said to him, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. When I am what I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. And I am telling you these things while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is, the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. So we have the Holy Spirit in us. As, he, um, as we relate to Jesus as we relate to the Holy Spirit in us he will remind us and show us and teach us and continue to lead the way I am leaving you with a gift peace of mind and heart and the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give so don't be troubled or afraid remember what I told you I am going away but I will come back to you again if you really loved me you will be happy that I'm going to the father who is greater than I am I have told you these things before they happen so that when they do happen, you will believe. I don't have much more to talk to you, much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. Come, let's be going. So we see that Jesus knows that his time is short, and he knows that the, that the ruler of the world is going to um, get his way momentarily. John, again, doesn't want us to think that this is a surprise, that, that Jesus didn't know that he was going through his death. He's been telling his disciples, that's what I'm doing. You just don't get it, but that's what I'm doing. But have peace. Not the peace that the world gives that says, if I'm comfortable, if I'm happy, if everything's going my way, then I can have peace. But a peace that knows that Jesus destroys the work of the enemy. That the kingdom of God is coming and won't be thwarted. That darkness cannot defeat the light. We have this as a gift because we, he knows that we will be going through troubled times. He knows that it is hard on this earth and that we get um, betrayed and abandoned all the time, sometimes by friends and sometimes by enemies. He knows that his disciples will have to suffer and die, but they will have a peace that is Jesus's life in them, the peace that shows them the truth and the way and the life that they, that that is in them. So each week as I've been preaching, I've 
try to sum up what the theology is. The theology is that Jesus is in us because he's given us his Holy Spirit. And the and I've also tried to show you how that has been illustrated in practical sense by practical carries, um, um, characters in the story. Today, the practical character in the story is Jesus. And we see that um, his, in, throughout his life, he has demonstrated his word, his message of love and reconciliation with God, and his works that say, you know, I... I um, have defeated the works of the enemy. You know, death doesn't have power. The hunger doesn't have power. You know, the shame, sickness doesn't have power anymore. We see his relationship with the Father that trusts his Father even when his heart is troubled. He finds refuge in him. We see that he is washing his disciples' feet, that he is serving them even in their... In, areas of, of dirt, we see that symbo symbo um, symbolically as he ministers to us, even in our shame. We see that he will um, intends to lay down his life, and we know that he did. He laid down his life. So the Jesus who laid down his life is in us, that we lay down our lives for others. And he gives us his spirit now. We get to have him in us now that he would lead and guide and show us the way that he would comfort and encourage us. We can do the same works and greater works than he did as we live out his word. We can show that our love through humility and service and compassion. The result of this is that we will have the, the peace of conquest, that we have know that Jesus' is victory, his, his life is in us, and we can know and have a certainty and a contentment that Jesus wins, that, he, that love wins, that um, the enemy loses, and that we have a place prepared for us. So this morning... I want to encourage you not to give up on dark days. There've, I've talked a lot about this. That there, we've, I've been going through a struggle. Many of you have struggled. And it's so tempting when darkness is all around to say, what does it matter? What does it matter? I have asked that way too many times. What does it even matter? It matters because we have a light that cannot be put out by darkness. And we carry that light. And we have to give it to others because they matter to God too. We will struggle with betrayal and abandonment. It doesn't, it doesn't likely stop. We just are able to have courage as we keep on um, walking in the victory that Jesus gave us. So this morning we can receive that comfort and courage from the Holy Spirit. We can continue to align our lives with the life of Jesus inside us. And we can ask him, show me the way, the truth, and life. Show me what I need to do. We interact with this Jesus in us. The, his, he doesn't live in a book that we don't ever open. We get to interact with his word. We get to interact with his life in us. We can serve in humility. We can, we can ask Jesus, what does that mean for today? How do I... Show someone that I love them. 
How do I serve and lay down my rights so that others can be blessed? And we can walk in power and accept expectancy. We have this power because Jesus really does want to destroy the works of the enemy. And the enemy is powerful. We, we, that's why we're afraid sometimes, right? But we are more powerful because we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead inside of us. And we get to walk in his ways. And we get to shine light in the darkness. And we win. So let's be that church that believes this, that walks this out, that walks in power and truth and love, that pe no one can deny Jesus is real when they see us because we are look like him. Let's be that. I want to look like Jesus. I want people to know he's real because of, of the life that they see. Let's do that. Let's continue to ask him, how do we do that? And how do we do that together as a church family?